officers and employees. There are requirements sometimes made of persons by the government that they have difficulty in determining whether they violate the law of God in doing them. Among them is jury service. The rule determined in the preceding pages is that the Christian should take no part in the administration or support of the government. Jury service is part of its administration and frequently lays on the juryman the duty of determining the life or death of his fellow man and leads into affiliation with the agencies of government. Some anxious for office say a postmaster is not a political office. Hence, he may hold it. That clerkship in the executive offices are not political. But they are part of the essential elements of the civil administration and make the holder a supporter of the government. Yet there are employments sometimes given in carrying on government operations that a Christian, it seems to me, might perform. The government builds a house. House building is no part of the administration of government. A mason or carpenter might do work on this building without other relation to the government than that of employee to the government. The government wishes a school taught. Teaching school is no part of the administration of the government. It seems to me a Christian might teach a government school as an employee without compromising his position. As a rule, he may work as an employee of the government, but may not be an officer or supporter. As a rule, the government exacts an oath of its officers to support the government, but it does not of its employees. Its employees in building, in school teaching, in surveying, are frequently foreigners who do not owe allegiance to the government. In these, a Christian, it seems to me, might work. This work constitutes no part of the government administration and requires no affiliation with or obligation to support the government. We find in primitive times Christians were prohibited engraving drinking cups, shields, or ornaments for the gods, and making swords as encouraging that for which these things were used. Clement of Alexandria, about the year A.D. 175, says, For those men ought not to engrave idolatrous forms to whom the use of them is forbidden. Those can engrave no sword and no bow who seek for peace. The friends of temperance cannot engrave drinking cups. Neander, page 184. Again, those who exercised trades contrary to the general and recognized principles of Christianity were not admitted to baptism before they had pledged themselves to relinquish them. They were obliged to begin a new trade in order to make a livelihood, or, in case they were unable to do so, they were received into the number of the poor of the church. Among these trades were reckoned all which had the smallest connection of any kind whatever with idolatry, and might contribute to its furtherance as artists and workmen who made ornaments and images of the gods. Tertullian said, to obtain honor for idols is to honor them yourself. You offer up your own spirit to them. Your sweat is their drink offering, and you light the torch of your cunning in honor of them. Neander, page 161. All which means that the Christian came into the church with their whole hearts and tolerated no divided fealty and service in its members.
The service of God, the conforming their lives to the teachings of God's word, the building up of his church, the spread of his kingdom, the teachings of his holy word to the world were the leading purposes and business of all Christians. To this one end, all who came into the church devoted their talents, their time, their means. Nothing counteracting this main work was tolerated. The man whose calling was not in harmony with this great work of the church must give up that calling, or he could not be recognized as a member of the church of God. The consecration of all the powers of mind, body, and soul to the service of God on the part of every man, woman, and child was the rule of the church. A sedulous guarding against dividing the fealty and service with other institutions and against the members remaining where they would imbibe a different spirit to bring into the church is manifest. They sought first and only the kingdom of God and His righteousness. They were willing to sacrifice worldly honor, riches, and glory to the advancement of this work. Their children were trained for the service of God in the church. When Christians thus consecrated themselves to the service of God and rendered to Him an undivided fealty, the word of the Lord multiplied greatly. It ran and was glorified among men. Multitudes at home and abroad were converted to Christ. The great weakness of the church today is when men are brought into the church, they are not consecrated to the service of God and the upbuilding of His kingdom. The children of God devote more time, more talent to the service of earthly kingdoms and institutions than they do to the church of God. What they serve most, they love best. They drink into the spirit of the earthly institutions and bring that spirit into the church of God. They bring the habits of thought, the reliance upon human wisdom and devices and inventions of men into the church. They drive out the spirit of God substitute human wisdom and ways for the wisdom and power of God, and in every way defile the church of God and work its ruin and the shame of our holy religion. Questions of Practical Morality Considered Questions come up in the workings of society and before the voters of a country that involve moral good to the community. Such are the questions regarding the restriction of the sale of intoxicants, the licensing of race courses and gambling houses and places of licentiousness. It is strongly denied in such cases that the government that restricts and prohibits sin can be of the devil, and hence it is claimed a Christian should vote on all such questions of morality. To the first it is replied, the devil has always been quite willing to compromise with Christians if he can induce them to divide their allegiance and to give their greater service to the upbuilding of his kingdom. He offered this compromise to the Savior when here on earth. He was quite willing the Savior should rule, and doubtless in his own way, and make things as moral and respectable as he desired them, if it only promoted the growth of his kingdom and extended and supported his rule and dominion. This very proffer that the Master rejected, his disciples accept and act upon in supporting human government. The Holy Spirit warned Christians that false prophets would transform themselves into prophets of God and the devil himself into an angel of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. 
There is no doubt the devil is willing to turn moral reformer and make the world moral and respectable if thereby his rule and authority are established and extended. And it may be set down as truth that all reformations that propose to stop short of a full surrender of the soul, mind, and body up to God are of the devil. To the claim that a Christian is bound to vote when he has the privilege for that which promotes morality, and to fail to vote for the restriction and suppression of evil is to vote for it, we have determined that to vote or use the civil power is to use force and carnal weapons. Christians cannot use these. To do so is to do evil that good may come. This is specially forbidden to Christians. To do so is to fight God's battles with the weapons of the evil one. To do so is to distrust God. The effective way for Christians to promote morality in a community is to stand aloof from the political strifes and conflicts and maintain a pure and true faith in God which is the only basis of true morality and is as a leaven in society to keep alive an active sense of right. To go into political strife is to admit the leaven of evil to the church. For the church to remain in the world and yet keep itself from the spirit of the world is to keep alive an active leaven of morality in the world. If that leaven loses its leaven, wherewith shall the world be leavened? Or if the salt lose its savor, wherewith shall the earth be salted or saved? God has told his children to use the spiritual weapons, has warned them against appealing to the sword or force to maintain his kingdom or to promote the honor of God and the good of man. When they do as he directs them and use his appointments, he is with them to fight their battles for them and to give them the victory. When they turn from his appointments to the human kingdoms and their weapons, they turn from God, reject his help, drive him out of the conflict, and fight the battles for man's deliverance with their own strength and by their own wisdom. Human government is the sum of human wisdom and the aggregation of human strength. God's kingdom is the consummation of divine wisdom, and in it dwells the power of God. To use the human is to reject divine wisdom and divest ourselves of divine help. To use the divine is to follow divine wisdom and to seek and rest upon divine help. There can be no doubt as to which is the Christian's duty. Then the Christian most effectually promotes public morality by standing aloof from the corrupting influences of worldly institutions and maintaining a pure religious morality. The same difficulty was propounded in early churches. Neander says, The Christians stood aloof and distinct from the state as a priestly and spiritual race, and Christianity seemed able to influence civil life only in that manner which it must be confessed is the purest by practically endeavoring to instill more and more of the holy feeling into the citizens of the state. And Origen said, the Christians render greater assistance to their country than other men inasmuch as they instruct the citizens and teach them to become pious toward God on whom the welfare of cities depends and receives those whose conduct in a poor and miserable city has been good into a divine and heavenly city. The same objections were made to the positions of the early Christians that are made today to this position. 
They then, beyond doubt, held the same positions we advocate. We make the same reply these early Christians made. We occupy the same position they did. Let us serve God with all our mind and strength and soul in His kingdom, and He will be our strength and our shield. And a true faith in God will lead us to trust Him, do His will, use His appointments diligently and faithfully, and leave results with Him, knowing that when we obey Him and so work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it is God which worketh in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. And when God works in and through us, all good results must follow.